Welcome. <laughs> cameras or whatever. Welcome. Welcome to cameras or whatever. Hi, Cameron. How was that? That was pretty good. Maybe you I'm should be on doing my this. <laughs> I'm working on my announcer's voice. It's getting better and better as your microphone gets better, too. Mm. This is gonna. This is really going to propel our podcast to the stratosphere, I think, is <laughs> the voice. We're going to get up to 100 listeners. Cameron, the voice Whitman. Uh, what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about what we almost talked about yesterday or last week. Yeah. Specialization. This is like, we might end up having a conversation about this often that's in the context of stock photography specialization. Mm -hmm. Like that's what comes to us, comes to mind most quickly for us, I think. But of course, this is a very general thing. Um, I'm going to start by talking about my extreme problems with not specializing in anything. Because (laughs) for me, it goes beyond just what we shoot for our stock portfolio in stock. Mm -hmm. We have, um, mostly portraits with a little bit of uh, fashion edge to them occasionally. Yeah. There's some landscapes mixed in there. There's a few still life pictures. Um, it's, it's pretty much portraits though. Mm -hmm. It's not all over the place. I think I've always thought of you as a portrait photographer. Yeah. That's like, that's my, my jam. That's what I'm into bag. Yeah. But then Outside of that, I do a lot of very different things. Mm-hmm. Um, I make videos. Um, I I think I got into photography because I couldn't afford video cameras, which at the time, all you could get was a camcorder, right. which looked like garbage and was still $2,000 for a half-decent one. So you couldn't really make that compelling of films without some serious money behind you. Mm-hmm. And talent. And yeah, talent. It's not just money. It's, <laughs> it's just harder. Even now, even with the gear being cheaper, it's much harder to make a movie look good. So I started doing photography, but I've always really wanted to be making movies. So now that the gear is transitioned and I'm able to shoot with the same things, I'm doing both. Mm-hmm. And that's part of our business. Then another part of our business is weddings, which um, is a great business thing. To, I mean, it's lucrative to not beat around the bush. Yeah, it's almost necessary, right? For the average photographer, well, I guess not for the average photographer, but for photographers in general, like I think that having a stake, some stake of wedding in your business is is pretty key. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people don't out of pride. I don't know if that's the word. Like, there's um, there's just this feeling of like, if I were to do weddings, I would be um, I don't know, giving up on a dream of being a fine art photographer or something. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not, it's not um the perfect job or something. Sure. And so they don't want to do it. I wonder if it's, if it's somewhere in between pride and fear. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. <clears throat> yeah, it is hard. And it's, there's a lot of pressure. Yeah. And I remember that one of the first weddings I ever shot, I got physically ill. Oh my God. Yeah. Cause I was so stressed out about it. I'm sure that stressed you out a lot more. Yeah. After you were ill. <laughs> well, I actually got ill like after the fact. Which yeah, is okay. really, really weird, but it was like it was literally just because of like that that elongated, you know, sweating pressure down it, a beer. How did it just, turn out? You know, oh, terrible. So the stress was justified. Well, I mean, this is back. You know, my first couple of weddings were shot on film. Yeah, and you know, like it was, I had no business shooting a wedding. I was I was in my like maybe first or second year, 
and it didn't it didn't strike me that uh, what you know the gravity of what I was doing until I was there and I was like wow this is this is like a moment in somebody's life that they're never going to forget and like I am ill equipped it <laughs> and responsible for like capturing this yeah and like who the hell you know like and and I really realized in that moment just how like irresponsible that was mm-hmm. you know yeah. incredibly irresponsible. I think I, I know what you're getting at. I, I, when I shot my first wedding, I'd already been shooting other things for quite a while, stock type things. So in studio and all at my own pace, there was never a client over my neck or, um, there's no pressure at all, mm-hmm. but I felt very well equipped to step into a wedding. I'm like, this is, this is gonna be a walk in the park. You know, I'm, I'm already a photographer. I'm like <laughs> making money from my photos. So obviously I know what I'm doing. They don't even deserve me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't think I was, well, maybe I was a bet. I don't really remember, but yeah, it can be humbling. It's, um, it's a hard thing to really mm-hmm. cover a wedding. Well, to do the justice to these people that it deserves, like you have to really work mm-hmm. and, um, you have to care about it, which I think is a lot of these, the people that aren't interested in weddings I actually think it's great that they don't get into it because if you don't really care about it, they deserve better than you. Yeah, they do. Especially you know? for, you know, the amount of money that, that you should be charging for it. That's right. Yeah. You should be charging a good feed to produce a like great work yeah. and you should feel really um, passionate about it while you're doing it. You should really care about these photos turning out. Yeah. And I mean, that's generally, I have to put myself into, luckily I, I really enjoyed photography, <laughs> but like, I have to put myself into this, this mindset whenever somebody is paying me, doesn't matter what the job is, you know, that I really have to consider, you know, how they feel and how they're going to feel and how that reflects on me. And, you know, like it's, it's, it's a very personal thing, even if it's, you know, strictly business, you know, but when it comes to something like a wedding, this is like a lifetime thing, hopefully for them. Mm -hmm. And if you blow that, you know, like you're going to be forever in their memory is that the guy that they paid too much to blow their wedding. Yeah. You don't want this day to be unforgettable because of <laughs> the way you blew it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and when that, when that, when the gravity of that strikes you, it can, you know, it can make you sick. <laughs> mm-hmm. For instance. Well, I, I've got to say that I only started feeling comfortable shooting weddings when Anya and I started doing it together. I think I mentioned this before to you that mm-hmm. if you're not enjoying it very much right now, or you find it hard in a way that's not pleasurable, try shooting with somebody else. Mm-hmm. Now that there's two of us, I now I I did not enjoy it before. The pressure was frustrating, and then I was often unhappy with the results anyway. Because there's also a lot of that. Like people want. Um, they want the cliches that we all are kind of sick of as photographers. Like we've yeah. seen the jumping in the air, playing an invisible guitar and <laughs> you know, the train tracks and the, all the, all the, the things that everybody uh, asks for with a wedding that you don't end up walking away with, a, you know, feeling really proud of. Um, what I feel proud of the most are like the candid shots, you know, when you really mm-hmm. have just a beautiful unexpected moment that somebody's walking by a window and it's all just right. That's like when I feel really proud of capturing that moment. Yeah, me too. That's what I, that's what I'm there for. Yeah. And yeah. so I found once there was, there was two of us, it took a lot of the pressure off, like the feeling of I'm about to blow it any second now. <laughs> and also, um, 
and, and let those moments come a little more naturally because I wasn't so worried about missing the most important thing right now. I know that my partner has it covered over here so I can, I can kind of just look at the scene and look for other moments without, um, without all that stress. Yeah. Which that's really necessary. Cause I mean, as a photographer, you, you should be looking for all the things that you're, that you're always looking for, you know, the wonder, the magic, all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. So shooting weddings, that's, uh, that's the thing to focus on. Some people mm-hmm. create a wedding business. I, I know we could do much do having an all wedding business is probably like the most certain best paying path in photography right now. Yeah, probably. Right. I think so. As long as you have the, the goods to, to fulfill it, then yeah. That's right. Yeah. If you're good at it and you focus and work really hard on it and you have a great site and a great portfolio and you care about the people that are your customers, then you can do very well at it. Yeah. Um, and if you live in the right city, you can, you know, you can yeah. really do well. Yeah. And by, so for us not focusing on weddings, we still get people asking us all the time, do you shoot weddings? Which <laughs> if you want to be a wedding photographer that they should already know that question before they get to you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so obviously we're, we're falling down somewhere on that, I think. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, my fear is like, I, I was a bartender for a long time. And so the, the, the problem with being a bartender is that you've got all that cash in your hand all the time. And so it's really, really difficult to get out of it because you just can't really, you know, imagine like not having all that money on your in your hands all the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as soon as you'd go and get, you know, like I remember the first time I, I tried to stop and I got a temp job and, you know, it's like falling asleep every morning, trying to work in some random office that I was sent to that day, trying to, you know, type so many words per minute or whatever, doing data entry. And I was just like, oh man, this would just be so much easier if I just went back to a bar and just had money all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like that that made a lot of sense to me. So I kind of relate it to the to shooting weddings because once you start shooting weddings, you know, if if you're good, you're gonna be busy all the time. And you're going to be kind of locked into just doing that. And then, you know, you can't really say no because the money's too good. So then you're a wedding shooter all the time. And that, that's a legitimate fear for me. Mm-hmm. You know, that's Dude, why shooting I like too many weddings or depending yeah, on it too much, depending on it. Yeah. Like I'm happy to shoot weddings. Like I actually enjoy it when it's occasional because it's like, Oh man, this is great. I like these people. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this wonderful thing for them and it's going to be fun and they're going to give me a bunch of money and you know, I'm going to get to exercise my skills in a way that I don't get to do all the time. And, you know, like I shoot a lot of events as well. So it's like, you know, I'm always kind of in that mindset of capturing those moments. Um, but with weddings, it's, I think because of the money, it's just, it's, it's really easy to get kind of caught in that trap. Mm-hmm. And it just depends how you feel about it. Like for me, if I really like the people then I'm so excited to shoot their wedding. Well, and let's be honest, there's also a lot of photographers that end up in the wedding game because they know it's money. Mm-hmm. They know mm-hmm. that's, they're not in it, like, they're not doing great stuff on the side, and maybe they're not even doing great wedding work. And the reason that they're a wedding photographer is because they heard you can you can charge a reasonable rate for it. Yeah. Um, and that's not fair to anyone, really, because there's a lot of mediocre work that is at too high of rates. 
Well, yeah, because I mean, you know, the reason why a wedding costs so much is because not just because the, you know, the pressure of capturing moments on the spot, but it's also because there's weeks worth of work behind it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot of work and it, and it requires patience and professionalism. You know, you have to, if you're any good, then you have to go through and carefully edit all those photos and then process them and give very carefully, you know, in, in such a way that they're going to be delightful in t- 10 to 50 years. It's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of work, you know, yeah. and you have to really like buckle down and, and sort yourself out. So what you're looking for in a wedding photographer really is somebody that um, feels like it is their art. Yeah. You know, it is the time that they're expressing themselves, especially because if, if they're just there to make the money and they're not interested in like, they can't feel proud of what they walk away with mm-hmm. or um, their portfolio is nothing but the same cliches repeated every time. Like they have a checklist of you got to get the bride and groom doing these six hilarious antics. Um, I don't know. Keep looking for another photographer, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but, and sorry to all you cheesy uh, wedding photographers. Out there, but, <laughs> yeah, I'm really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we've all been there. I've I've taken some cheesy photos too. Yeah. No. Oh, God. <laughs> so don't um, hold this up. <laughs> so yeah, wedding photographers. What what are the photographers out there? There's stock photographers. We could probably talk about that a lot. Yeah, it's almost too obvious for us, though. Yeah, we could. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, stock photography is it's like a weird thing because it is you could just say you're focused on being a stock photographer mm-hmm. but a lot of those people end up having strange portfolios that when somebody has a portfolio that represents every genre mm-hmm. it is always weird to look through like yeah. it's not often that like as you look through it you feel this continuity and this sense of like yes all of this was created by the same person with the same eye, a lot of the time it feels like they have seen uh, food photos before and they're going to try to make them turn out or they've seen um, portraits before and they're going to try to replicate those looks that they've seen as opposed to somebody coming up with what's important to them and then taking a long time to work towards it. So the, this, the stock world is a microcosm of all the other ways that people are not are or are not focused on some genre of photography. Yeah. It's frustrating. Um, you know, not only as a photographer, because, you know, I've, ha- I've certainly had my share of moments where I was just like, well, you know, why am I doing this? So like, what am I going to shoot today? And like, how far is that range? Cause there's a lot of times where I've just get bored. You, you start to think that you're on to something, you know, you're, you're finding your specialization. And then next thing you know, you're like, man, I really don't dig this. Yeah. I'm not yeah, having well, fun. If I had chosen my specialization too much earlier, it would have been really tacky and looked dated by now. Yeah. So that you can't mm-hmm. just, you can't decide right away. You can't know where you're going to go with it. I think that's a huge challenge and we're, well, we're completely still there with the business side. So I think aesthetically, mm-hmm. um, I, I'm a little more uh, comfortable with what I'm always working towards, but uh, like our business, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. We still, the listings for the amount of totally different surfaces, services we offer, like Events, weddings, portraits, like corporate portraits, commercial, fashion, street style fashion, and like editorial fashion. We Mm -hmm. try to get jobs and do get jobs for all of those different things. So, you know, how 
at any point we're ever going to focus on one of those, I, I couldn't tell you. Well, if you, here's the, the conundrum in my opinion is that you couldn't really focus on just one of them because then you wouldn't have enough work to sustain yourself. Yeah. So, you know, the, the way I, I tend to think about specialization is that it's, it's a tier. Uh, I think that a, a really talented photographer can be allowed up to, you know, three areas of specialization. One in which they, they really hopefully master and then two that they're proficient in. Um, and I'm particularly for a stock photographer. It's, it's amazing if you just, you know, if your focus is just honed in on one thing and you're just, you master it and that's, you know, that's enough for you. But I think for most, most people who carry a camera, you, you want to explore with other things as well. But as a business, I think it's really critical to figure out what you are best at and what you enjoy doing the most. Well, my assumption is that we'll figure out what we're best at when uh, that's what we're suddenly in really high demand for. What a problem. <laughs> well, that's, that's how I imagine it. I don't know how it really works out. Like, at what age do these people that um, really excel in a field, when do they usually level out and start sticking to it and letting the other things fall away? I mean, no, a lot of people never do, but... I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if that's an answerable question. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it has to do with age or time because, you know, I know people that, I mean, I've seen quite a lot of really uh, stunning photographers who, who more or less jumped the line and bumped ahead of a lot of the people and they just did it overnight. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know? There's like those 20 year olds that um, <laughs> start yeah. scooping up the most important jobs. Yeah. And I mean, and the reason is, you know, they have a fresh perspective on something and, and yeah, they, totally. You know, they really just felt something and grabbed it. Um, that doesn't happen for most people, and that's okay. You know, it, there's there's nothing wrong with a long road because usually by the time you get there, it's you're more comfortable with it and you you understand it much better. There's actually a book that's coming to mind that I really liked on this topic. It's called The Dip by Seth Godin, who is uh, one of my favorites. General, you know, doing stuff guru. I don't know what you call Seth Godin. He's a marketing guru. Well, he's an, or, or an anti-marketing guru. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. uh, I like his work, though. I like his I stuff a lot. Um, I like that he mentions iStock photos sometimes. Or I guess I did, yeah. I did when I was involved over there. It was just like, it was at the time that I was involved in iStock, and he would mention them in the books, and I'm like, you totally get what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyway, the dip is about the idea of when to quit something that isn't going to take you anywhere important. And mm. the resources that you're pouring into something that's going to die anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, something you, hopeless. Yeah. You signed up for a new gym membership this year and you know <laughs> damn well, you're never going to go. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I definitely recommended reading if you're struggling with this, although I guess it didn't make me, it didn't make me make up my mind, but the, the point is, is to like know when to quit at mm-hmm. any specific thing that isn't taking you to the right place and that you know that it's taking attention away from something you could be doing much better. Yeah. Especially if you don't enjoy it. Yeah. Especially if you, yeah, if you don't care about it, if you don't care about shooting weddings, but you're doing it anyway, maybe you shouldn't be shooting weddings and you should get really focused on your, uh, your headshot business. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's, it, I think it's critical because I think that it's, it's fine if you're, you know, if you're shooting photography for businesses and, you know, you're not all that into it, but like the client likes it, 
like, I guess that's passable, but like, it's a completely different thing when it's a personal thing, you know? So if you're shooting somebody's wedding and going into that, that wedding, like before you even like sign a contract, you're already not interested. Yeah. You know, you're doing a disservice to that, to that customer. Yeah, totally. I I don't think photographers often look at themselves the way that they look at all the businesses they interact with. When you walk into any store at the mall, like you expect, you expect them to want to impress you. Mm -hmm. You know, you'd be disappointed if they don't put in a lot of effort to make you enjoy your experience and feel really excited about the brand. And if they don't put the customer first, you walk out totally pissed off. But I think a lot of photographers run their business like the customer is there to make them feel fulfilled in their artistic career, which couldn't be more wrong. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. Like you are there to do a, to do a job for somebody else. And if you want to be a fine art photographer and make a living at that, then um, that's, that, that is a separate thing. And you totally can, you can go and try to get gallery shows and sell your prints for as much as you think you're worth, but um, don't, don't take that into your client work. Right. Cause they don't owe you artistic satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you owe them fulfilling their vision and the thing that they were really hoping to get. Yes. Which at that point you really have to be a good listener to, just to, to hear what it is that people that are, they're asking for. Or really often it's also helping them interpret it. Right. Like what, yes. That too. When they, when they show you a sample and they're like, I want it to look like this. It's like, what is it that you like about this photo, right? Let's try to get to the root of it. Is it that there's backlight? Is it that they're wearing a silly hat? Is it they're jumping in the air playing guitar? Is it the, uh, you know, is it because it's black and white? Like, let's let's drill down and find out why you like this and what Which about from it. this list of cliches fits your vision. <laughs> But it, that can be really challenging. Like that is a, that is completely a skill in its own. Is that moment of communication of like what what are you actually looking for and what do you want? Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't mess that up. <laughs> yeah, work hard at it. Be a good listener. It um, just so happens that you might end up being a good husband at the same time or wife. Right. <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, what did we cover? What what else do you, what else do you do? You so, shoot portraits and you shoot yes. food. Yeah. So yeah, which is, it's kind of strange, right? Um, I'm not sure that those things, actually, I know a couple people that do that, but you know, I'm not totally sure sometimes whether or not those things are totally symbiotic, but um, yeah, I, I do a lot of food and the reason I do food is because it's, it's a thing that I do with my wife. I don't generally do it without her. And it's, it's something that, that the two of us can focus in on together and come out with something that we feel is reasonable and we got hired for. So I guess it is reasonable. So that's, and it's just, it's a, it's a great thing that we do together and we really enjoy it. Um, you know, and I do portraits entirely by myself, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, it's a completely, it almost feels like a different job. You know, how do you treat those? How do you market for those two different jobs? Do you have separate websites? Do you have, um, like where, where do you promote each one? Yeah. Well, the, when I had a website, I, uh, still a problem. Um, I was doing both on the same website and just trying to separate it on the website, uh, which I think is, was a folly, you know, it wasn't, 
it wasn't very focused and that's part of the reason why I just let it go and decided that it was time to, to start over. And, you know, and that's, that's something that I'm, you know, right now I'm, I'm dealing with that because, um, I love both, but I recognize that like in order to get somebody's attention, you can't distract, like if you're going to try to get somebody to hire you, like, you know, any kind of, uh, name brand with food, be at a high, high end restaurant or, you know, whatever, you really have to like have a focus on food before they're going to even pay attention to you. If they go to your site and they see a bunch of like weird arty portraits, they're probably going to be like, eh, what's, what's this? I don't know. You know, it, we, it might we distract them. Guy. Yeah. It might just distract them. And I mean, you, you, can you imagine how good your food has to be at that point? Your food photography to, to be able to like overwhelm the fact that like they might think that your portrait photography is tacky as hell. Well, yeah, I think what you're getting towards is that it's this stuff really starts to matter at the highest end too. Mm-hmm. Like the most the the client that you want the most for your food job mm-hmm. is the one that really just wants to. They want to hire somebody that is very specialized in this. It's like doctors. Mm-hmm. specialists make more money than generalists, right? Yes. A, a brain surgeon makes more than a um, GP. Yes. And that's, that's really the, I think that's the point of the whole podcast. Really, Yeah. Maybe that's the first thing we should have opened with that, but it only occurred to me. now. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's better late than never. Um, but you know, if you're gonna, if you're going to go into, you know, being a photographer and you're just like, well, I'm a photographer. Well, what do you take pictures of? Cause that's what everybody asks you. Well, what do you take pictures of? And it's like, Oh, a little bit of everything. And then you immediately see their face kind of drop and they're like, uh, there's nothing to hold on to. There's yeah. nothing to like, you know, this is a problem with bands too. It's like, what is, what, what, what kind of music um, are they? Yeah. What do they sound like? Oh, you know, like you really can't describe it. It doesn't, it doesn't really fit into any of your pre-constructed genres. <laughs> Which for most people is like, oh, that sounds awful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and for me, it's uh, like, oh, okay, I can get into that. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, no, I, I, but I guess it's just like, it's hard to set. That's a much harder sell. Uh-huh. Yeah, totally. Um, people want to <laughs> know what they're going to, what to expect, mm-hmm. what they're getting into. Yeah. And especially people paying lots of money. Yeah. I think that that's <laughs> yeah. the biggest point is that like, you know, you're not going to get, high-end food or wedding clients if you're mixing and, and matching all these things on your, on your, in your marketing. Yeah. It's a, it's confusing and it's really tough to deal with as a photographer, because I think if you haven't settled on one or the other, um, it's difficult you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, you don't know where, to, where to go because you're not sure you're happy in that spot. You know? the, the way I was dealing with this this week was looking at how we quote on video jobs so we this week I met with a few video friends to try to figure out how we quote on our on our video work because they all work in an environment where they're doing video stuff every single day and the people around them all work in the video realm and you start to have a more comfort with like what's what standard rates look like what the other people you're competing with what their skill level is, people that you're going to work with. Um, and I'm kind of on the side of that because our main focus is f- photos. That's what mm-hmm. we spend a little more time doing. And yeah, it made me realize that to get to those higher rates of, cause generally the day rate on video is a little lower than on photo. This is the main thing I've kind of been learning because we, wow. we usually quote at the same rate because to me, like time is time. You're, you're 
you're, yeah, it's exactly like you're hiring us for the skills that we have. But what I realized is to get to the really high rates for being a, a DP, a director of photography in, um, video production, you need to be a real expert at it. You need to put in some serious time lighting in really hard situations and being able to problem solve, having encountered every problem that you, your client might need you to solve because that's what they're paying for is that they're going to have a bulletproof shoot that you can yeah. walk into any room and it's going to work. And there's no, there's no risk that they won't walk away with exactly what they want because there's a lot of great photographers at much lower rates. But as you get further along in your career, it's all about knowing that you can deliver at the same level, no matter what. Mm -hmm. It's problem solving. Yeah. And proving that to a client means that you need like a developed portfolio over years um, that can really show them that that's what's going to happen, you know, once they hire you. So anyway, this this is my all my thought with um, my goals of cinematography is that uh, I have to do it a lot more. Yeah, <laughs> and that not focusing on it may, I don't know, may not be a benefit in the long run. Like there's there's two sides because <laughs> by doing by di- diversifying, it's like hey, we can do like hybrid shooting. Mm-hmm. There is a, a potential benefit to that in the market, but there's also competing against. In some job environments, that is also a disadvantage. So, oh, totally. I would, I would think that for something like that, it would almost seem like more of a disadvantage. Although, you know, like something popped into my mind while you were describing this, and I'm thinking like a director of photography for video, right? I mean, that really encompasses having knowledge about everything. Am I wrong? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's what so, it I mean, really. You, you have, Sorry. The most I feel important. Like you got I feel like it's it's like you have to be a specialist in everything. Like you have to be like a specialized generalist. Well, it depends what environment you're in. If you're at if you're in movies that have a crew where you've got specialists for everything, mm-hmm. you have to know what they're doing. Um, but the key, the most important things are are really really knowing lighting and knowing how that is going to interact with your camera and lenses, which is it's not, that's not everything. Like in photography, that's almost everything, but that's why you're the director of photography, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's, um, you're not worrying quite as much about the people or the, the blocking or movement of the shots. It's like, how is the light going to hit this, this sensor or this, Mm -hmm. this film? Um, that's, that's really your concern. And there's so many steps along the way. So is that authentic and, and you know, is, does it evoke any kind of a, feeling. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean that there's the technical problems there are incredibly hard. Then there's the emotional stuff that you're describing now of like, how, how does red feel? (laughs) How does blue feel? Mm -hmm. How does bright feel? And then there's the, the, the other technical side, once you get to the camera and the lenses and then communicating all that to a director, or if you're shooting it yourself, then turning it into storytelling. And, um, it's really, there's a lot there. And I think you, most masters of it are are older. I don't think mm-hmm. there's a lot of best of class uh, directors of photography that are really young. It's just a very hard thing to do early in your career. Yeah, it seems like a wisdom thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. In so fact, it sounds really sexy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Someday, but even like it's a simple thing that I run into is um, once you're lighting a room that a camera is going to move through and 
is going to have different, ex- or the person's going to move through and will be exposed differently in different places in this room. This mm-hmm. is when a light meter starts to matter in ways that it never does for stills. Because for stills, like as they walk through the room, you can change your exposure to get the right part of their face to feel just right. You can bring the exposure up a little bit as they come closer. But in cinematography, you have to light it ahead of time because you're not going to change the exposure on your camera as they move. or right. It has to be right before anything else happens. Um, so you, yeah, you have to walk around the room checking your meter on everything and you have to really understand it and the ratios. And like, this isn't something I'm, I'm not good with that because with digital photography, you can just take a photo and look at it and decide what you think. Yeah, I guess. Do you meter? Uh, mm. I mean, I meet on the camera. <laughs> with, do I meet use with your eyes? A separate, yeah. I mean, I think that um, you know, almost any like really naturally talented photographer can. Not saying I'm such, but you can um, generally meet her fairly well just using what's in the camera. Yeah, and that's the that's the problem is now that now that you can do that without shooting Polaroids first and then shooting to film and things like that. Now, yeah. because you don't need to learn that, you never you can you can have a whole career as a photographer and not learn those things, which is fine. Your photos might be great. And like, I, I like your photos and our photos, <laughs> um, even though they weren't shot with a light meter, but you, it, it also can be a limitation. And it means there's certain really technical things that you can't always achieve without one. Yeah. Yeah. So you I rented a light meter is. this week. What? Yeah. For this uh, shoot coming up. Nice. But we'll talk about that at the end. Do I any, know anybody that what? That uses one. <laughs> That's my question. Anybody under fifty? Um, yeah, I know stills. Somebody. I know yeah. older. I know older guys that do. What? What? What about you? Ryan Muirhead does. Right. Shooting he film shoots, Yeah, he shoots ninety percent film, I guess, and uh, he uses the zone system for crying out loud. Like, I mean, what that's awesome. Yeah, what a pain. Like I, I look at his work and the last thing I think is zone system <laughs> okay. because he's so like in touch with the model mm. and, and the feeling. Yeah, it feels yeah. really just like organic and um, working with the, the situation. Yeah, and I think that's why he's, he's got the respect that he does. It's just because, you know, like he the, – the, the point of, of photography is, is, is just there. You know, like forget all the technical crap, you know, like you just look at it and you're like, okay, subject, got it. Like (laughs) photo, like I see the whole point of this. Like there's a reason that you took this photo of that person because, and and it's very evocative and, you know, whatever. And you don't even really realize that like this guy's kind of doing a little bit of like mental gymnastics to come to that. And you don't notice that because you see this real thing happening in front of you and you're, and you're like, Wow. To me, that's really impressive because like, I know that most people that I know that use a camera are kind of, you know, spraying and praying and they just happen to get lucky a lot, you know? Well, a lot, hopefully. Well, Mm -hmm. I think also this is more common with the current generation of film photographers. If you look at the people that are talking about it, Mm -hmm. uh, Jonathan Canales, um, Kirk Mastin, Ryan Muirhead, uh, all of them are like, yeah, just pull out your meter and keep yep. it around your neck. Yeah. I mean, you see like pictures of them on Instagram and they have the meter on them all the time. They're wearing yeah. it. It's, you know, it's not a fashion statement. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, if I was shooting medium format on location 
the way they do. I totally understand why. And it yeah. really would not take that long to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it, it wouldn't be that much harder. Um, you're already making it enough harder. Uh, and I think it's worth that extra moment to meter in those cases, but like with digital stills, it really is hard to get into that habit, but you know, the one time, okay, this is when it matters. And this is actually what I'm going to be shooting tomorrow is when you're metering a solid background mm-hmm. and it needs to be consistent over a distance. Oh so man. Yeah. In, okay. in this case, we're in a giant white studio and it's, uh, like a hundred feet squared. And we're lighting a giant white wall. And I was looking at the footage from the last time we were shooting and you can, you can really see the difference and fall off on either side. Like the, the vignetting of the light mm-hmm. when it's, when it's wide, when you're seeing that much space, because it's just incredibly hard to get even lighting across all of that. Yeah. I mean, how big is your light? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, there's, there's a lot of big lights in there that time. But so even if you're lighting in a small space, even if you're just doing a headshot in a studio, um, you still need to basically like hit all the corners and make sure that it's not just the center that is actually bright because yep. it's just something you can't really, you can't judge it accurately with your eye. Now you don't, you don't know, you don't see those edges. <laughs> Let's turn this into a metering conversation. So when you're using a light meter, are you using spot or incident or how are you going about it? Uh, well, it depends on, what you're doing. Uh, I mean, so I, I don't usually use a light meter. That's why I said I, I rented <laughs> one cause I don't own one. Um, and so I'm going to be working with it in this situation to, to get a much better, to try to flatten out that background that I you know, could have done better last time. Mm-hmm. But, um, what the way I meter in real life usually would, well, is honestly shooting in uh, aperture priority mode and judging the exposure, looking at all my settings and, you know, making sure the numbers are what I'd like them to be and then just going with what looks right. But um, if I were to be careful and actually meter, I'd do like spot metering on something like my hand, putting it in the the various places or if the, you know, the model's sitting in there, like go up close to one side of your face and see what the exposure is there and see on the other side, all with the camera on spot. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, I don't find that happens too often. Usually we're in a rush. So we just look at the photo and decide. <laughs> Me too. I think most people that shoot digital, it's just kind of, they realize, oh man, I'm saving so much time here and it still looks rad. So yeah. this works. Yeah. Well, yeah. And you go back and shoot some film and you're like, oh man. You're, well, you're saving time in the setup. You're saving time not having to learn this stuff. But once you know it, if it's how you were working, I feel like a lot of time could be saved, say in post productions, trying to save your shadows or highlights or oh, no doubt. Yeah. In painting out vignettes on your backgrounds. Oh. <laughs> Don't talk about that. That just sounds horrible. So what's your new site <laughs> going to be like? Well, how are you going to specialize on your new website? I think we're going to focus on food. Oh, so there'll be one site and it'll well, be mostly about food. That's kind of where I'm going is that I'm thinking like, okay, so I have I have this sense that that my um, portrait work can is is a little bit more, you know, it's it's a better bedfellow with the stock stuff that I do outside of food, um, and I feel like I can push the portrait thing on a completely separate entity. The food, the kind of clients that we want to get are high end, and you know, I don't really want to bother with, you know, just doing this or that. I want to do high end food stuff. Right. 
Um, so you're just making your decision about what to aim for? Yeah, because, you know, I mean, uh, it's, it's a long-term plan with my wife and, you know, she's, she's my stylist and she's super into it too, you know, and, and that's, that's actually half of what gets me into it is just seeing her get into it. Cause I'm like, Oh look, there's this thing that we can do together and be really super excited about. Mm-hmm. And you know, like it's, it's always awesome to have a partner to do something really exciting. I hear that. And I, yeah, you do. And, uh, you know, neither one of us are like, you know, models. So <laughs> we, we prefer to stay behind it. So like, what would we rather do? Like style some food. And we're really into food. We're into the whole culture and, and, um, making it look interesting just sounds really exciting. I don't think that food is a thing that, that will ever go away. Um, obviously, and it never gets boring. You know, you can always make it look interesting. And I think that's a great example of like where, because that's where you're focusing and it's Mm -hmm. so something that we should try not to focus on too much. We we did a food shoot um, yesterday, uh, making a salad for Anya's blog. Mm -hmm. And so this isn't portfolio work, so it it doesn't really fall into the trying to get jobs from it, but it definitely comes off differently. Like you, you know, the preparation of the food isn't something like we don't really cook. So yeah, we're stumbling through it a little bit and, um, you know, I bought the, some of the wrong ingredients and, yep. uh, I think the photos will look fine, but compared to the, you guys, I'm sure where you know what you're doing, um, or have cooked the dish beforehand, um, and are mm-hmm. really aware of all the steps, you're going to be able to nail it a lot better than, than we did. Well, yeah, I mean, to, if you flip that scenario around, you know, like I can take a portrait, but like, you know, if you put me into a fashion situation, you know, um, there's going to be a lot of things I just don't know. And I'm going to be, you know, if I'm relying on my own intellect on that, like I'm going to fail, mm-hmm. you know, like if I have somebody to help me and coach me, like I, I might be able to wing it because like I have enough contact that I have a good idea of what things how things might look. And I think that'd be the same way for you with food. Um, if I'm not, if I have no information, I, I don't not, I have not versed on fashion. Mm-hmm. It's just not something that like, I know that much about. So it's like, I don't know what's a faux pas. I mean, I do, but I don't, you know what I mean? I have like yeah. a general understanding, but it's not a specialized understanding. And I think that if you're going to be a fashion photographer, you really have to know. It's pretty easy to screw up. I, I there's so many portfolio sites I've seen where their fashion section is like they bought a bunch of drapes from the Salvation Army mm-hmm. and uh you know just like wrapped the model in some like colorful floral prints or something. Oh, I, I mean that you know that fashion <laughs> is like dress up weird and have dramatic makeup yeah. and harsh lighting. Oh god. But you see this, you're, right? You're, you're, oh, just, me. Are you talking to me? <laughs> are you serious? Like I have uh, it's it's tough because like when I see your the stuff that you guys produce, I get excited and I'm like, oh man, that's neat. Um, you know, and I feel like it's people who are informed, who are making deliberate choices that are that are also like really sound. You know, yeah. Um, and well, I wouldn't try to touch that. I, I wouldn't try to touch fashion photography if Anya wasn't there to <laughs> tell me what's right and wrong. Uh, and it, same with me for food. So like yeah. you know, like if if I didn't have my wife saying like, oh my god, are you serious? Like. <laughs> You know, that would be, I would, I would be really, you know, in the wrong place. I mean, I think I'm in a, a much better place now after years of, of us communicating yeah. together about Yeah, it, I hope obviously. I'm learning something. <laughs> right. Hopefully. Right. Hopefully. 
but you know, I mean, uh, yeah, faking it, it's pretty obvious to those who know, you know, you can fake it in like fake out fakers, but the people who really matter and the people who really know, like if you're going to go for high end, like they're going to look at you and immediately know, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's not like a, like you might run one past them. They, they, they see right through you. It's just how it is. Yeah. Oh, definitely. It just jumps out at them. It's the most yeah. obvious thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it doesn't matter that you know your ISO and took a light meter reading because the content doesn't make any sense to somebody that's an expert about it. That's right. And I mean, I think that that's why it's important. Like, I don't care what direction you're going in with your professional photography. You know, if you're going to be a stock photographer, you're going to be editorial or commercial, you know, you... If you're if you're looking to get paid, you really got to know what you're doing. That's yeah. really what it comes down to. Is that like if you don't like have a really keen sense of the what's and why's and and, and what's current, you know the aesthetic, all that, you're gonna always be trailing behind. And you know the people who the, that you're trying to get hire you, we're never gonna know your name unless mm-hmm. you're like, you know, you're on point. And I might sound like a tall order, but that's, I mean, it's, it, it is a tall order. It should be. It that's why they're yeah. paying you a lot of money is because you know it. I think I have a way to sum all this up. And it's the, the general practitioner versus a brain surgeon again. Yes, absolutely. That there's, a, there's a lot of GPs out there mm-hmm. that are making, you know, they're making enough money. They have a career. They like their lives. And they spent a little less time and money in school. Mm-hmm. And then there's way less surgeons and specialists that are extremely good at one thing and they deserve to be paid more. And you can choose to be one or the other. There, like I said, there's just, there's just more generalists and it's okay. Mm-hmm. But you have to realize when you fall into that and um, th- be mm-hmm. aware that there are two different things out here and, and, and know what you're shooting for. Yeah. And to reiterate, there's no shame in the generalist game. You know, like I've, I've been playing that game for a long time and like I've done it in a way that, that has made me extremely happy. Um, and and that goes for whatever your profession is, but like within photography, I think that you can be a generalist and, you know, make a, a modest living and be happy, you know, and if that's as much as you need then that's awesome. But like, I think the the point here is if you want to go for that extra bit, and be special, <laughs> then you really do have to focus in and like figure out what the pulse is. If you're not in touch with that, like, sorry, it's not going to happen. Well said. So, um, Hey Cameron, what are you into this week? Ah, man, I spent some money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a lot of, this is an emotional story for me, but, uh, <laughs> Go ahead. I'll explain. Yeah, after. You, you've been hearing about this all week, so it's yeah. not new to you. But yeah, I um, we had a little conversation with Kirk Maston recently on uh, on our Stocksy program, which is called Toxy. And if you're not a member of Stocksy, then you don't know what we're talking about, and you never will. But um, you know, during that conversation, you know, like it, it occurred to me that like his his kind of whole gig is is getting people's digital files to look like film. You know, and so I asked him the question, well, like, well, Kirk, how do I get my film images to look like your, your presets? Cause you know, I'm struggling and he's like, Oh, well, what are you using? And I, I told him I was using the Nikon cool scan 8,000 ED, which, um, I guess it was, you know, probably the, the top of the line 
you know, home scanner, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's great. Like, you know, you can shoot positives, negatives, um, 35, 120, you know, so like there's a lot of options there, but, um, it's a really slow process to get high resolution files. It could take anywhere from 30 to an hour, um, and getting your color right was a real struggle. And, uh, you know, the parameters, depending on which software you're using, if you're using, um, the original Nikon software, I'm not really sure what that looked like because it's been more than a decade since I've actually seen it, but I was using the, the Hamrick view scan software, which was a little bit newer and, and updated still yet, you know, really difficult to use within that environment. So I wasn't really all that happy, you know, like I was excited to be able to scan my film, but I wasn't getting the results that I wanted in the amount of time that I had, which is limited to say the least. Um, so I asked Kurt that question. He's like, what do you use a Nikon? Okay. And he said, well, you know, have you ever looked at the pack on F-135? And I said, mm, I've, you know, Tyler's told me about it, <laughs> you know, but like I, I, Outside of just kind of seeing it and looking at it and thinking like, man, that looks like a dog's like water bowl or like a child's <laughs> like toilet. That's exactly what it looks like. Yeah. You know, like, um, you know, like, like when I got at home, my wife was looked at it and she's just like, it looks like a toilet. And I'm like, yeah, no. So, you know, I, I think I just looked at it and kind of thought like, eh, you know, and, and it's just like anything else, you know, if all the hipsters are into it, you kind of question it. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and that's fair. But like at the same time, I've learned that like if all the hipsters are into it or at least the right hipsters are into it, then you probably need to pay attention. So well, my research of this device was just searching for different film scanners and there basically there is no other home scanner that the colors look like they come from a lab. Right. From what I've seen, like all the flatbeds people, you know, sing the praises of like, there's the V what 600, I don't know, Seven. 700. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's all those Epsons people like, but then I look at the images and they look like they were scanned on a flatbed. The colors yep. are not there. All of the things that are really beautiful about film aren't happening in these home scanners. That's right. And uh, the one that you had that. looked pretty good. Uh, like the Nikon, I think, looked nice, but it was very slow and very expensive. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, this the, the Pacon really looks different. Yeah. Um, it looks like it was done at a great lab. Yeah, and and... I mean, obviously, that's the uh, that's the main goal is to have something that that looks the way that you expect it to look, because that's why you're shooting a film anyway. Is because you like that film has a s- certain characteristics or specs that that you expect. You know, you're buying it because of that. Um, you know, it's, film is so much different than digital because when you buy a roll of film, you're buying it because you already know what the the, the finished look is. Mm-hmm. You know, as opposed to like buying or selecting from a list of presets. Like, you know, I mean, I guess you could go about it differently and like push it or pull it or whatever. But like, you know, when you, when you buy that film, you're like, this is what I'm looking for. Well, and when you're expecting that and then you run it through a flatbed and it just looks flat. (laughs) And I think people are okay with it because it looks vintagey right away. It looks like it's already faded for 10 years. And so they just let that be good enough. Can we change the name of it to flat dead? (laughs) Sure. Because flat that's, dead scanner. Yeah. Do you have a flat dead scanner? It works fine for prints. You know what it works fine for is if you're if you're shooting four by five, eight by ten, eleven by fourteen negatives. If you're shooting 
medium format or 35 millimeter? Like, come on. I know. I think there's something about the technology and I don't understand anything about scanners, but the way that they project light, I don't think it picks up the emulsion in the same way. I think a, like a, a scanner meant to scan through something transparent just works differently than something meant for scanning non-transparent printed mm-hmm. images. Somebody explained to me why, I don't know, but it, I, I'm going to say that's probably true. That's curious. Anyway, you've got this thing. It looks beautiful. I love it. Um, and I wanted to actually censor you before this started because unfortunately mm-hmm. I was not able to buy one. <laughs> uh, I, you, you went to order it and I said, okay, you buy it and tell me that it works and I will order one immediately after. Yeah, that was the mistake, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a big mistake. So then a few days later, uh, one of the sites that sell it sells it um, is sold out. And yep. the place you bought it on eBay, the guy changed the price from what did you pay? Three seventy nine, you said? Yeah, I paid three seventy nine. And now and he's asking for over nine hundred dollars. Yeah. And that was one it. week that was later. Immediately after mine was purchased. Yeah, because yours sold. And yeah, so this guy, I don't know. I don't, I I don't obviously know nothing about this person, but, um, you know, and I'm happy. So I, you know, I don't want to drag him through too much, mud. but however you go on these social networks and everybody seems to know who this person is and And they they don't like him. Yeah. His response to me, I wrote him about this and, uh, he, I don't know. He didn't seem like a very happy camper in his response. Did you get a lot of caps in that response? Yeah, there's a lot of caps, an unnecessary amount of caps. Yeah. Well, anytime you have all caps, it's unnecessary, unless you like, unless you're clearly telling somebody, you know, something specific. So I guess it's safe to tell our audience about the scanner now, because none of you are going to find it for the price that it should be. That's right. <laughs> I well, don't know. I'm, sh- I'm sure one of you will, and you'll write me about up. it. And here's the thing. What is the price that it should be? Because, like, from what I understand, from what Kirk Maston was telling yeah. me, is that these things cost thousands of dollars when they were new. Yes, that's right. And they were but only they, available to, to professional. But they are like labs. over a decade old now. And sure enough, it doesn't it doesn't matter that maybe the maybe they were undervalued for a few years because that's the price that is locked in my mind. Um, no, and, totally. Yeah, you know, it just I can't accept that it has more than doubled overnight. Well, you also, you know, you have to go through some, some lengths to actually use the thing. Um, yeah. Which, you know, that's, let's XT talk only. about that. Yeah. So for me, I had to get um, VMware to run a virtual machine. And then I had to locate a copy of Windows XP, which, you know, that's not necessarily like just readily available. You know, you cannot just download a copy of XP as much as it seems like you should be able to. You cannot, mm-hmm. unless you're magic. I mean, some people have, you know, really awesome sure resources. Ways. Yeah. Some, somebody has better resources than I do, but luckily I just have good friends. So I was able to find a copy of XP and, and put it on. And, and uh, thankfully there's this user group on Facebook, pack on F135 user group. And they have a, um, a set of instructions on the, st- as a sticky on their page and, yeah, I mean, I was up and running in no time. And, you know, the, the beauty of this scanner is that, you know, in within five minutes, I have high-res photos 
or scans of all of a, an entire roll where, you know, with a Nikon, it would take me anywhere from a, a day to two to three days to do that, depending on how many of the images that I thought were worthy of actually scanning high resolution. This thing does it immediately. Just it sucks the thing in, spits it out, and you're done. And it like it's actually it's an enjoyable process. Which with the like Nikon actually like actually set setting the the whatever the presets are to make the colors look normalish. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, uh, it, it's kind of funny because the first time you see the software, you're like, wait a minute, you know, because it looks nothing like modern software. Obviously, it's old school. So you look at it; it's on Windows, and it it just you look at it and you don't know what you're supposed to do, you know, because you're used to sliders and stuff, and uh, it's just so different. But it actually it's brilliant the way that it works. You know, there's like three parameters: there's cyan and red, uh, green and magenta, and then yellow and blue. Yeah, so it's basically like lab controls. It's exactly like lab controls, and and it, it it reminds me of how you know when I was learning color photography at school, you know when you actually did that stuff on the enlarger. You know, you would you would set those parameters using dials on the enlarger, and that's exactly what it's like. But it's a lot easier than that. Click up, click down, <laughs> and then you're set. And it's within reason. I don't know how calibrated the uh, software is itself, because to be honest with you, everything comes out a little bit different when I import it into Lightroom. It looks a little mm-hmm. different than it did in the software. But it's not so much that I can't like easily fix that in Lightroom. I mean, sometimes you can just click auto and sometimes I can just move its slider a little bit and I'm set. So are you just going to be shooting all film now? Is that what's Oh, happening? hell no. Hell no. So the limitations are that it's only 35 millimeter. And um, uh, yeah, so it's, it's only 3000 by 2000 resolution. So, you know, if you're shooting stock, which I mostly do these days, um, you know, in terms of film anyway, it's, it's only a large, so it's, it's not going to work for everything. It's going to work for things that I realize I want to shoot on film. It's a choice, but does that matter to me? Not so much. Well, it got a lot more cost effective at least. If you're just talking time economics, like I just hit the lottery. So I, I I didn't mention this beforehand, but, um, I'm going to start sending all my film to you <laughs> and uh, any, any of you listeners out there, feel free to mail your film in to Cameron Whitman at exactly. You don't know the address. <laughs> yeah. I don't know the address, but Tyler, if you really need to know, I'll tell, I'll tell you mm-hmm. if you need okay. me to scan your film, I'll scan it for you. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Sorry. Everybody just... else. I'll be using up all of his time. <laughs> I'll charge you less than the, than the labs has it. Fantastic. <laughs> Um, so what I'm into this week and, uh, I was into it last week is Sony video cameras. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I got to take the a seven S for a test run the other day, which is their low light optimized 12 megapixel, um, low light and video optimized camera. So, uh, it's, it's not super high end, it, uh, but it does shoot S log and can shoot 4k to an mm. external recorder for any anybody am i talking to any video people or is everybody photo people i don't know if i'm making any sense i don't think they can answer you right away (laughs) well (laughs) if you have an answer uh if you hashtag cameras or whatever we can we can hear your feedback so let me know actually i'd love to know do do you guys shoot video at all ask us questions yeah 
And so I had the A7S for a day, and now I've got the FS7, which is the much bigger, extremely beautiful um, video dedicated camera. Um, it shoots 4K in the camera instead of needing to get an external recorder. It shoots S-Log3, so like the flattest, closest to raw image you can get without shooting raw. Um, and it's it's really, really great. I've, uh, I used it um, to recently on a similar job and I've rented it again for this and I am just so happy with it. It makes, there's so many things that you can't do in video that are, you take for granted with photo, especially with shooting raw images. You get way more latitude, much more easily with stills. Most video does not look like that. Most video has really blown out highlights or crushed blacks because it doesn't have as much dynamic range except in high-end cameras. So this camera is $8,000 as opposed to uh, 20, 30,000 mm-hmm. um, or, you know, 40, uh, mm-hmm. but it starts giving you that look without, well, all of the extra memory that raw has uh, or spending that much on a camera. So yeah, I really love the FS seven. And then the a seven S is like a, um, much smaller, cheaper version of it that it also shoots S log, but doesn't, it has a similar amount of dynamic range, but the noise in those shadows and highlights aren't, it's not as nice as you push it. It isn't as clean and you can see the image start to fall apart a little more, but -hmm. compared to things like the five D or the seven D or what people have been shooting with for a long time, all the cannons, those images are a lot less sharp the sensor and codec are not really optimized for video and you can kind of see it. You can see the, the, the way that the contrast is in the shadows and the highlights is not as nice. The image is not as sharp. And um, yeah, these Sony's Sony is winning for video right now. They're really doing an amazing job. That's awesome. And they're making it affordable. It seems like. Yeah, totally. Like the, the way I think of it is the a seven S will get you like 80% of the way to an FS seven and the, uh, FS seven will get you 80% of the way to the image that you'd get on a, a red or a, um, Alexa or whatever. So awesome. yeah, for a lot less money, you can produce some really beautiful things. How do you like the feel of the a seven S in your hands? Um, the grip is too small and it's hard to hold, but I know in the a seven two, they have changed that. So from now on, it's going to be a little easier, but in the current on, and honestly, as of this recording, there should be an A7S2 coming up. Um, so I would not recommend buying it right now. But there'll be a two by the time anybody really listens to this. And Unless you, you get a two. ridiculously good deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But the, the grip is going to be redesigned based on the A7S2. So, um, and it, it, the A7S2 also added stabilization on the sensor. So... Um, that any lens that you have will have movement stabilization, which is really especially powerful for video. That's neat. Yeah, it's (laughs) It's, really great. uh, It's so much better to have that on the camera than than in the lens. Yeah, I know. It's really smart because now you don't, you only do it once. (laughs) Yeah, it just makes no sense. Like I used my macro lens today, shooting some food and, um, you know, I realized because it was kind of quiet in the room and I had my client on, you know, in the house and, um, you know, I hear my lens just going, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not really doing anything, you know, and it's not the focus. Just sitting there. It's, it's just the, it's the vibration reduction, just going all crazy. And it's, to me, it's really distracting because it's the only lens that I have that, that, that has that feature. Huh. And, 
don't get me wrong. Like I'm, I'm not unhappy that it's there when I need it, but for the most part, I'm just like a little quieter. I just think it's really annoying and it'd be really great if it was just in the camera, which makes a lot more sense. Yeah. So Bravo Sony. It will be great. Another interesting thing to photographers that these cameras shoot, uh, the, the lowest you can go when you're shooting in it's like raw or mode, the S log mode on the a seven S the lowest is 3,200. Mm-hmm. And it's a uh, 2000 on the FS seven. Oh. So you can't go to an ISO below that. Wow. Yeah. Which is, I think strange to most photographers. So you basically put ND filters in between on the FS seven. That's one of the things that's great. They're built in. So you just slide a knob and you're switching between your neutral densities. And then on mm-hmm. the a7s you'd have to buy an external like screw on adapter. And that is, that's a common feature with video cameras, right? Yeah. It's pretty standard. And, but yeah. one of the reasons that video cameras have huge advantages over stills that you're shooting video with. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's the show. Good one. Thanks, everyone. Hey, leave us reviews in iTunes. We don't have enough. Yeah, we don't. In fact, <laughs> tell all your friends, too. Yeah, it helps. Do you want to hear a couple knuckleheads talk about photography? <laughs> if you want to hear uh, you talk about it, where do they follow you? They follow me um, on Twitter at uh, Camrocker and uh, on Instagram at Camerun with a K. It's K-A-M-M-E-R-U-N. That is very confusing. Or at Stocksy.com. Um, slash cam rocker again. And I'm Stallman. Stallman, S-T-A-L-M-A-N on Twitter and other things anywhere, kind of. It's always Stallman. Yeah, well, when I can. Thanks for listening, <laughs> everyone. Thank you.